0: You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one podcast for all things communication, advertising, and marketing. I'm your host, Ted Lau, award-winning agency owner, podcaster, and full-time dad. Today on our show, we have Abdullah Snowbar and Baba Ajayi. Abdullah Snowbar is the executive director of the DMZ and the CEO of DMZ Ventures. Headquartered in Toronto, Canada, the DMZ helps startup founders build, validate, and scale into world class companies. Under Abdullah's leadership, the incubator has expanded its global impact by establishing partnerships in satellite locations across North America, Latin America, Africa, and Asia. To date, the DMZ has helped 700 plus startups raise 1.65 billion. That's a B billion in capital. Baba Ajayi is the CEO of Andy, a digital platform that helps restaurants, retailers, and grocery stores drive traffic to businesses in real time. Gentlemen, welcome.
1: Thanks for having Thanks us. For having us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to start off and just kind of ask a little bit about entrepreneurship. That's kind of where we're at, right? That's what you're talking about here today, Canada startup ecosystem. Help me understand, what's the role of entrepreneurship that plays in Canada and its benefits and Toronto's place on the global stage?
1: You know, it's a great question because sometimes I think we kind of forget the whole purpose of entrepreneurship and what it's really meant to do. In short, I think it's what kind of sets the country apart from the rest. It's to kind of give us our competitive edge. It allows us to do things differently, creatively, to kind of solve for real problems that exist, whether it's in our immediate societies or our extended communities and whatnot. Broadly speaking, it is it is livelihood, right? It is a way of creating opportunities, building jobs, about building technologies and innovations that will kind of change the way and change the game of how we operate, think, do, speak, kind of interact with and whatnot. So it is really changing and creating better ways of living life in the shortest form. And it's something that people like Baba are doing on a regular basis. It's a way forward. And that's probably the easiest way to explain it.
0: So entrepreneurship. So, you know, small business, I think, we all know is the backbone of, of the economy, the Canadian economy. I think it's like 80, 90% of all businesses. Is that the number or something like that? Yeah, Some, some high stat and small businesses, anything under, I think a hundred employees, right? So that that's kind of where it's at. I mean, I run a a small business myself, you know, where ballistic arts, a 20 year agency, but in and of itself is still a small business. And there's an attraction to entrepreneurship, but, but why is that? And maybe I'll throw that to, to Bubba. Like why did you, and I, understand this, you're an immigrant like many, many other Canadians. Why do you come to this country and be like, "Mm, I'm gonna start my own thing? Like that's that's not easy, you know?
2: Well I guess when you are given an opportunity to live in one of the greatest cities in the world, you have no choice but to take advantage of that opportunity. It's the Canadian ethos of, you know, we all come from somewhere. And when you come from somewhere, you have different ideas and different experiences that you bring into a new society. The way you assimilate yourself into a new culture is also different. So you learn to think differently. And when you think differently, then you start to have ideas that might not conform to the norm. Essentially, when people ask me, what is entrepreneurship? I tell them, it's seeing a new way to do something that's been done a certain way before. For us, for example, at Andy, restaurants have always put blackboards outside their doors to tell you what the specials are. They've always you know, driven traffic by handing out flyers. But we say, hey, look, we could do all of this with technology. We can make this real-time information as well. So when you look at entrepreneurship, it's one, the first thing of, can you think differently, which almost every immigrant person uh, who has to assimilate into a new culture is capable of doing. And then the second part of that is, are you passionate about it? Which for someone like myself who grew up around technology, the first thing I ever did was, put a Mario game on a floppy disk. A floppy disk? Oh my goodness, well, hold on. Even Just let's, like let's educate our... Yeah, let's <laughs> like, explain like what a floppy disk, disk is. to our
0: audiences, okay? Because like I remember you know, my, my daughter had to ask me what a DVD is. Now you're going like well back to floppy disk. Come on, man.
2: <laughs> it's Before DVDs, before USBs, before... I know everyone is on the cloud now. Before cloud systems, your floppy disks were this 54 kilobyte systems that you used to save. Anything. Yeah, at that time it's always impressive thinking back to that. You could save your assignments, you could save video games on it, you could save a lot of things on just fifty-four kilobytes. I'm sure nowadays you can't even run a cell phone on like less than you know six to four gigs. Anything less than that is like not nah, even terrible. So that's a little bit that's of hilarious. a uh, history lesson.
3: <laughs> and for a lot of more people, the save
2: the save icon is actually the image of a floppy disk. A lot of floppy people disk. who've seen one in real life knows, uh, you know, the save icon looks like a floppy disk. But for me, like that was my first introduction to technology was coding and putting a Mario game on a floppy disk so I could play it on my computer while I was doing homework. Well, After doing homework, just, I'm sure I'm going to send this to my mom.
0: <laughs> while you're doing homework, just like an entrepreneur, right? You got to cut the corners, got to multitask.
2: <laughs> That's the thing. And you're know, like living in Toronto, Toronto's got great opportunity it's always there for the taking, right? So, you know, when you see those opportunities, it's the environment, it's the mindset, it's thinking differently, all those things combine together and an entrepreneur is born. And from there on, it's more about you developing your skills, coming to a place like the DMZ to be able to get access to resources to do that, to be able to get access to partners. And then even something like this, getting to talk to, you know, people in the marketing world, people in the PR world to say, hey, how do we sell ideas? Because you could have the best idea in the world. If you don't know how to sell it, then that's a problem in of itself. I'm sure there are a lot of very smart people who've created good technology, something like the, you know, the, the first Macs. It was because Steve Jobs was a great marketer and able to communicate that. That's why almost everywhere you go today in every coffee shop, there's someone with a MacBook.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a really good realization there that you know, it does require marketing. It does require advertising. Good communication. Now, how does DMZ play into all this? You know, the Baba, you you came up with an idea, and then you met this 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 handsome dude. You know, Abdullah. Is that <laughs> is that what happened, or, or or maybe maybe I'll throw it back to you, Abdullah. Like, tell us about DMZ. Like, you guys have provided resources. It says seven hundred plus startups. You know, over one point six five billion across the globe. So, yeah. tell us about that and, and how how your venture supports this.
1: Yeah, well, look, you know, DMZ is a tech incubator, effectively, and we're supporting companies and startups and being able to take their business to the next level. We want them to leapfrog so that they're not trying to figure things out on their own, so that they're having some level of, of resources available to them with no kind of accessibility issues around it as well. It's being able to give people a chance to build their livelihood and build their fate in a way that they want to see it through. And DMZ plays a part in that in the sense of providing the right mentors and advisors, Getting them to you know to the right founders when they need them and where they need them, providing them access to uh, customer acquisition potential, access to investment potential and venture capital introductions locally and globally, and then to a large community. Whether it's a physical space like the DMZ here right at Young and Dundas Square, or whether it's our international operations. DMZ operates in more than eleven different locations globally, or whether it's helping them push their stories out from a marketing lens. To Baba's point you know on a grpr perspective and being able to really sell the dream you know and that's really much very much kind of what we do it's about kind of again giving the opportunities to become your best potential and dmz likes to play a part in that in some cases uh, ted you know on the marketing lens a lot of great founders are building great businesses and they just they don't know how to tell the right story and the right narrative around the, the right story and we see too many too often that a lot of Shitty businesses are telling a phenomenal narrative and they're getting way too many good people kind of signing up and then only to realize that, what the hell am I doing? This is, a horrible, this is a horrible thing to kind of get in. So we pride ourselves on being able to pick winners. And honestly, and I truly mean that because we go through a very rigorous process. We only select the best of the best. When we bring them in, we go all in. And when we go all in, we want the world to know about these guys because these guys will make things happen. They will make your business better, smarter, easier to navigate. We try to kind of get them into all the places that they should be to create value, to create value for all ends, not just for the for the startup itself, but to create value for the end users, for the corporate partners and whatever it may be. Something that we're really proud of. And Baba happens to be one of them on this call.
0: Let's dig a little bit deeper in that. So you're talking about the best of the best, and there's a lot of rigorous check marks that you have to go through, a big, big checklist. So so maybe, you know, we have listeners here that are probably thinking about or have started a, a business and they're they're trying to get tips. But if they were to approach DMZ, what should they have ready to go so that when your team Abdullah goes through that checklist, that you know they have a lot of stuff checked off already?
1: Yeah, I think you know. Let me give two broad ones, and I'll be. Honest, I'm not the one that's going to be checking off the list. We have a great team that does that. But for me, my kind of my motive back to the team, and I always say, look for a couple of things here. Look for great founders, and look for hungry founders. If you're going to find people that are going to come in here and who are maybe who are not. Who are going to, you know, give attitude and think that they're know-it-alls and they're they're going to be they're going to be kind of, you know, not contributing to the community and they're going to be, you know, shit disturbers. They can go somewhere else and do that. Not to say that we don't want them to be shit disturbers, but when you're in a community of like-minded people, try to be kind in a sense of like going kind to of offer value and be the best version of yourself. The other part of it is find people that can really that are really trying to build something great. I don't want good. I don't want okay. I don't want nice. I don't want something that's going to be like a million dollar business indefinitely. But these guys come in and tell me I want to build a billion dollar business and go crazy with it. Then we can kind of like cycle back and say, okay, show me how. Let's talk about how. When a hungry founder here or she can come into a space and say, I'm not trying to compete. I'm trying to take over. You know, and to kind of drop the mic and walk out. You know what? Bring that person back. Give them the mic. I want to hear more because I want to know what they're what they're actually up to. That's the kind of stuff that excites me. You know, it's realizing that at the end of the day, they're going to have to like. They're going to have to cooperate and work together. But the mindset of coming in hungry, I love it. You know, that's the kind of stuff that you want to see. And then there are the things of like, okay, you want to apply to the DMZ. Show me what you've done so far. How have you validated your business? Have you gone out and spoken to two, three, four hundred people in the, in the community to show that there's actually a need for your product? Do you have early traction on the business side of things? Do you have some customers paying customers who are not your mother, brother, sister, father, uncle, aunt? You know, like people that are outside of your circle. Are you actually able to show that there's a scalable, repeatable model here? That it's not just for Canada, because Canada is a cool market, but it's a 38 million person market. And by the time you look at what's your total adjustable market, you might get to like maybe a fraction of that. So Tell me where else you can expand to the States, Europe, Africa, Asia, and how. What's the opportunity? I don't care about today as much as I care about the potential of the future. I don't want a one-hit wonder. I want a sustainable, long-term like jackpot that can actually kind of get us to the next level and how we can take your brand as a Canadian brand and promote it so that others can say, holy shit, these guys did it. I can do it too. Let's go. You know, let's kind of, let's let's make this stuff happen. So it's a longer answer maybe than than you're probably expecting, Ted, but, you know, ultimately I want hunger. And I want good people. That's kind of what it comes down to.
0: All right. So let's talk about hunger. Let's talk about the good people, Baba. So tell us a little bit about your journey and, and Andy and how you, your hunger and your kindness makes you a good fit for world dominance in the DMZ lands. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, for that, I'll probably start with a quote from a, a great philosopher by the name of Jay Z. You know, when Jay-Z passed the touch a little way, they said one thing, go farther, go farther. If not, then why bother? I always tell people, when you get into this line of work saying you're going to run a startup, chances are 95% of the time you have skills that would make you a great employee somewhere else. You know, you could just be in the corporate world, you could be in consulting, you could be in banking, whatever it is you were doing, you could just stay there and you would earn a good living, you would have a good life because like this is something where you know they're gonna be ups and downs. So when you get into it, the first question I always tell people is: Are you ready for whatever's gonna come your way? Are you doing this for the right reasons, and are you willing to go that extra mile? Because the difference between yeah. sometimes successes, the people who leave the elevators at four fifty-five and don't want to go home, or the people who are staying back uh, till six p.m. doing work. For me, that's always the difference in life: is how much longer are you willing to push yourself. Because it's all a mental game. If you can push yourself, then you're going to get there. So that's where the anger comes from. It's, there is an opportunity to be great. I always tell you know, friends, family, even people I work with that. If I wasn't building Andy, I'd be cheering for Andy because it stays on my t-shirt here, never wait again. What we do is we say, hey, look, we can give you live information from a grocery store you want to go to, from a restaurant you want to go to, from a retailer you want to go to in real time. I could essentially tell you what's happening there right now before you step out of your door. Imagine that it's all on your phone. You tap, you see, oh, they've got 80% capacity. So which means if you go right now, it's probably too busy. You're not going to get served right away. If it's a restaurant, we tell you, look, they're fully booked. If you're going to wait in line, the line is taking you about 20 minutes. So those are the kind of things that for me as a person, I hate waiting in line for anything. The last time I have waited for something was maybe Nashville hot chicken. Two weeks ago, when I was in Nashville, and someone told me, you know what, you've got to do this. But I was also there during the 4th of July, so the line was long. Before that, I'd probably have to go back to pre pandemic on the last time I waited for anything. So, knowing that the product we're building is something that speaks to me, it's always one of the core things. Then I asked myself the question, Eve, I'm looking to build this product. Do I understand that it's a privilege? A lot of times people say, hey, like, yes, entrepreneurship, you have all the skill sets. But the thing is, there are 7 billion people in the world. Chances are there's at least maybe 10 people who would think the same exactly I think, which means if I'm getting to build this product the way I see fit, if I'm building this idea, there might be 10 other people in the world who've seen this idea before, and they've not been able to build it. So I have to treat that opportunity with reverence and saying, hey, look, I get to build this. I get to you know potentially live a legacy if I do well and you know, scale it across the globe. So those are the kind of things that start to come into your thinking as you start to build the business around. And then the next part of that is now, you know, how do you add the right people to the mix? Whether it's partners, backers like the DMZ, investors, employees. You know, Myself, when I joined the DMZ, I was just a one-man show. Now, my team has grown to almost 10 people and we're still probably going to be growing to about 20 people by the end of the year. So it's with each person, the last time we did a hiring cycle, I interviewed 600 people.
0: 600 people?
2: For me, a lot of it is finding the right fit. Like some of them are, you know, like I would say to me, some of them are quick. 15-minute interviews the first time around because I'm like, hey, you know, just tell me about yourself. And the first question I always ask people is, if you were to start a business tomorrow, what would that business be? And what I'm trying to see is, are you passionate about the things in your life? Because if you tell me, hey, you know what? I love fashion, I'll start a fashion business. This is how I'll go about it. Then I can understand that if you're passionate about the things in your life that you really love, if I can make you love Andy the same way, you're gonna bring that exact passion. So it's those kind of things in you. You go through it. A lot of people look good on their resumes. You talk to them and you go, you know what, this is not it. Let's keep going. And it becomes a very extensive process. Like now, like my team. Whenever I tell them, hey, guys, the next time we're hiring, here are the criteria, here's like the data points. They go, wow, Like to get seven people, you have to go through this? I'm like, yeah, because those are the seven best people that any day, any time, if I'm not there, I know they're going to love the business the exact same way. They're going to bring diligence to their work. They're going to be exceptional at what they do. And this is the same thing. They're going to go farther and further because... There's no point in us being here if they're not going to push themselves to get to that greatness.
0: Okay. Well, I think that's a really interesting point and that appreciation and gratitude of the fact that there's 7 billion people on the planet and you get to do what you want to do is a moment that we all have to take into account and appreciate. So love that. Wanted to ask you guys a little bit about immigrants and the immigration culture that we have in Canada. So all three of us are, you know, at least for myself, I I can't speak for you guys, but my parents were immigrants, right? I grew up in an immigrant household. I I grew up in the 80s where it was me, the Filipino kid and the Italian kid were the only non-white people as it were, right? And everything else in suburban Vancouver was very much blonde hair, blue eyed kind of culture, and which is fine. I grew up in that and I, I, I thrived as, as I've run my business. But we talked in the pre-call that there is perhaps a different culture, different mentality that we bring to entrepreneurism and small business. And I'd love for uh, maybe I'll, I'll go to, I'll throw back to, to Bubba first, and I'd love Abdullah to, to jump in as well. But what's your take on it? And, and what's the value that we bring to Canada in the entrepreneurial startup ecosystem?
2: I think what we bring first and foremost, and it's something the three of us talked about in the pre-call, is a different approach, a different way of thinking, as well as, you know, different cultural experiences and a work ethic that I think it's very hard to match. When I think about it, you know, funny enough, my dad is visiting from Nigeria right now and he's here for the summer. And he and I were talking about the same things over the long weekend, and I was sharing with him, but you know, a lot of things that I saw my parents, do growing up, you know, moving to another country. My parents had no business moving because they were already pretty successful where they were. But my dad was like, you know what? I want to set you guys up. I want to make sure as you start to grow, you also see me around more. Because before that, it was always traveling. So making that jump, coming into a new system where even though he had gotten some of his education here, it's still an adjustment period. because. When you're coming into that system again at 40 versus when you're coming into it as a 20-year-old kid who went to school here, it's different dynamics. So when you see your parents work really hard to give you the best life, there's always a bit of that where growing up, you know, you want to be as Canadian. You want to assimilate into the culture, but you still make sure your that foundational piece stays with you. You know, the work ethic, like the things that, you know, the values of, you know, being respectful, you know, like appreciating, again, that everyone you meet plays an important role in your life. I think LeBron James has said something that stuck with me for a while. It's like he always appreciates the janitors that clean the gym because if they don't clean the gym, he cannot go in and put in the buckets. The same thing, you know, like there are people who in life where there are parents, the people we meet, each one of them plays an important role in getting you to where you are. So by being an immigrant household, you get to appreciate something like that because you see your parents go out there and do their thing every day. They come back in. They share those stories with you. It stays with you. So it's that work ethic. It's a different mindset. That's the thing that I think immigrants have to offer. And it's the reason why whenever you you hire an immigrant, I always tell people, I've had numerous friends who have said, hey, they're like, I'm looking at this person. They just moved from Nigeria. I'm like, hey, trust me. I can guarantee you this. I will give you 200 bucks. This person is going to work hard for you. I'm like, I've never met them before. They're not my cousin. Relax. Don't, (laughs) Don't be afraid. But I can guarantee you that no one moves from another country. No one uproots their family from another country. And they're not willing to make the sacrifices when they get to the new country. And they're not willing to, you know really go far and uh, put in the effort dad if I can maybe let me just kind of jump on from from Baba's
1: points because I I think he brought up a couple really good things but I'm an immigrant I came here as an immigrant so I wasn't born in Canada but uh, you know I know what I had and I know what I have and I'll tell you I will work my ass off to continue what I have right now right because it's something that that I know it's a privilege without question to have the things that you have right now and the opportunities have been given to you in a way that you probably would have never had back home and that's why we all make the shift to, to Baba's point and even if you're not the immigrant, if your parents are the ones that immigrated here, you can understand the hustle and the drive that they're putting in. And that in itself kind of rubs off on you to say, holy shit, if they're doing all this, no rest for the wicked here. Let's, let's go and let's, let's make things happen. On the flip side of it, now, you know, Baba used the word sacrifice because ultimately, man, all of our parents sacrificed something to be here. Something. It had to be something that was sacrificed to make this big move. I can't think. How do I pick up my life, my kids and everything and go to a new country it has a different language and all that. Man, that's some scary stuff. Honestly, it is. It's a bit It's a bit out there, right? But a lot of people in this country did it, and they did it for a reason because they wanted a better opportunity and they wanted to sacrifice what they had and their comfort for something, hopefully, that would get their family and their kids into a better position. Now the three of us are here. Hopefully, we never have to use sacrifice. I don't want to sacrifice anything anymore because we can optimally get to a point of like our success and our kids' success without having to sacrifice much because we are in the best hands down forget toronto vancouver we're in the best country on earth politics aside and everything aside i think we're all pretty well-traveled people to realize that canada is an incredible place an incredible country with incredible people with incredible opportunities yes sir you got to make it what you want it to be and that's kind of where you create your own fate and you got to be able to say this is what i want to be this is what i want to become this is what i want to strive for and when a guy like Baba is building a business, true, it's a it's a point of privilege that he can and it's a he has the access to do it, but he also has the hustle to do it, right? It takes a certain kind of person to wake up at five in the morning, you know, be the CEO of a company, but pick up the coffee, clean the tables, do all that kind of stuff, and then go out there and hustle to find 40 salespeople on a sales force in less than a month to sell his product on the streets of Toronto. You know, like it's a mindset. It's not gonna be handed to you. You gotta also work for it, right? You know, so ultimately like the the idea of bringing on immigrants to Canada or to a workforce or to be part of a community like the startup community here in, in the city, I think the benefits typically are the fact that you're guaranteed a hard working workforce that are going to work their asses off to make sure that they never go back to whatever they were in before. Because it, it's never, the grass is always nicer on the other side. And in this case, it's real nice. It's real nice.
3: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parkercom purpose. Parker, engineering your success.
0: I I, I totally get that and, and you know I have you know, I've had my business 20 years and my parents, you know, immigrants from Hong Kong and, you know, both of them, my dad has that immigrant story of, I had $60 to my name and came here with a yep. you yep. know luggage <laughs> that my, my sister gave me or whatever it is. And then my, my yeah. mom, the only reason my mom yeah. came to this country, because, you know, it was a little bit more sexist back then. Her brother, her younger brother was able to come to school, like come to Canada for school And he was too young. And so she had to chaperone him. And that's the only reason that she was allowed to come to Canada. And then she ended up putting herself through school. And then, you know, they worked multiple jobs and, you know, talking about like how mortgages are tough today, you know, granted they are tough. And my parents had two mortgages on the house. I only found this out, you know, well into my adulthood. They're like, what, what, you had a second mortgage on our house? What is, what, how? And, um, and so I had a breakdown you know, with, uh, the business a few years ago and I was complaining to my mom and I, you know, I work a fair amount, like 10, 12 hour days is, is kind of normal. I guess with the, with the pandemic, I only work, you know, eight and a half, nine hours. And I feel like it's, I'm on vacation, but, but, you know, the, the 10, 12 hour days was, was normal. And I was telling my mom, like, yeah, I I work so hard and this and that. And and the funniest thing was my mom was being super compassionate. Right. But she also said, you know, honey, I I know you think, I, I know you think you work hard, you know? But you don't really work that (laughs) hard is what she said. And you guys are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Your parents, that that sacrifice that you're talking about is something that like, unless you lived it, you know, I can't imagine like going to, like you said, going to another country, uprooting everything, learning a new language, having people that don't look like you, not like you, you know, like it's, it's a, it's a thing it's it's hard work. So now we've had the opportunity to become leaders in our field, in our world. Now let's talk, let's pivot to the the talent aspect, right? That we we now have to attract folks to and inspire them to work on this dream, this this mission that we have. And we all know with the ongoing labor shortage that it's been it's been tough. You know, not going to say it's not been tough to hire folks. Let's talk about that, the talent crisis. What's what's happening? Why is this happening? And and what can we do to attract and retain top talent? I'll throw it to you, Abdullah, first, and then, and then Baba, you know, you, you can go from there.
1: I'll start off on the flip side of it is actually on the basis of kind of how do you bring on more talent to kind of fill in the gaps and whatnot. And then we'll talk about what's happening currently today. But I think broadly speaking, we have a great opportunity in the sense that we have a large population of people in the country that are eligible and able and capable of doing the work that we want them to do on the startup scene we have not created access to for them to do so and what i mean by that you don't know what you don't know and if you're a young guy growing up in an immigrant family and all you know about is you're going to be a doctor lawyer or an engineer then you're not going to look at being sorry, accountant yeah of course of course (laughs) but you're not going to look at startup as being a normalized industry it's not going to look it won't be looked at as joining a successful kind of group. And and growing up, even from my end, my parents always thought of like, if you're not one of those things and you're actually going into like, if you're going to build a startup, then you're effectively a failure that couldn't get a job. But now you're trying to build your own job because nobody else wants to hire. Point blank. That's what it, and we're normalizing the fact that, no, building startups is actually a way of empowering yourself and building opportunities and creating jobs, not not consuming jobs, right? And it's a different mindset. And I think, It's shifting. My parents appreciate that mindset a lot more now, and they do understand it a lot more. We are not even tapping into like a fraction of the workforce that we could be tapping into, which means like how does players like a DMZ create better opportunities for marginalized communities, underserved communities, forgotten communities, whatever you want to call it. Whether it's BIPOC, uh, whether it's women, whatever you want to look at it, whichever way, shape, or form, we have an obligation and even an opportunity to build Accessible programming and support and kind of initiatives that would get people to think differently to say, uh huh, I wanted to be a doctor, but I live in X, you know, X community and nobody knows what this DMZ thing is. But there's a program now. This is awesome. Oh, wow. I can actually be a founder. Oh, wow. I can actually be working for a company that has only five people and still make a salary, but learn quick and maybe grow and develop quickly. Oh, wow. I can actually be a venture capitalist. So what is this thing? You know, these are things that I've never even imagined you know but we continue to recycle almost the same people from the same communities from the same from the same privilege if you will rather than trying to tap into new people that are coming from underserved areas that are highly talented just don't know. so this is kind of where we've introduced programs like high school programs focusing on marginalized and more underserved communities here in the city where we bring them in. We help them build businesses. We help them look at ways of kind of creating opportunities. We give them a bit of resources and dollars so that they don't have to go work part-time jobs. And if they love it, we try to kind of continue that journey for them in being an entrepreneur. We built programs focusing on Black founders, focusing on Indigenous founders, focusing on women founders. And that is something that we are at a, at a starting point and not nearly where we want to be yet, right? So this is part of the journey. On the flip side of it, you, know, you kind of touched on it. We're in a, we're in a hard place on talent. In a very hard place on talent they're currently in a recession call it what you will but i'm going to call it a recession and you're seeing the lowest unemployment rates that we've ever seen it doesn't make any sense you know generally speaking you know you have inflation going up you have unemployment going up as well people are struggling to find a job we're now in a position where people are not really you know people are working there's a few reasons that plug into that first and foremost the ones that were looking for jobs and wanted to be employed Initially pre-pandemic, we're competing on a local level. Toronto, maybe Ontario, maybe Canada. But it was really more much more localized. Now they're competing globally. Like I know guys that are working out of Toronto but are actually operating their businesses actually in Chicago or New York or Hong Kong, or whatever. It doesn't really matter anymore, right? So you are employable to the world as it sits today, because we are still remote to some extent. And that could shift. That could change over time and whatnot. The other part. I truly believe is that there is a hunger for people and young people in particular to grow. And because they want to grow, they want to find jobs that will pay them a bit better or maybe you know, find a job that will maybe give them a bit more flexibility and opportunities and options. So they're jumping ship quick. And because they were never in the physical space and a lot of these people started jobs during a pandemic and now they're making their way out, building a loyalty to the culture, building a loyalty to your teams is so much harder to do now than it's ever been before, truly. It's a hard place to kind of say, I love my organization because the people and I get to hang out and the socials and the after work gatherings and, and all, because it wasn't happening as much. But that too will change. And I truly think that is a big element of allowing people to kind of build a bond or a connection to a culture that would make them a bit more loaded and locked into a certain community or a certain organization. And I think the last thing I'd probably say around this, around this piece is the fact that you're in a moment where. People are realizing that they're being overworked and there is a lot of what we call burnout now, right? And they're saying, well, if I'm going to be burnt out, I love this organization. It's awesome. It's amazing. And if I'm going to be burnt out here, you know, let me go get burnt out somewhere else where I can probably make an extra 20, 30K, you know, and I'm not going to love the job as much, but I'm being burnt out anyways. So this, those are the immediate problems beyond the fact that like, some people are retiring early. It's a reality. You know, people during a pandemic said, you know what, we kind of like this we're going to retire early. This is kind of cool. And we're going to go and live our lives in Costa Rica or in Northern BC or whatever it means, whatever whatever you want to kind of uh, label it. I still think there might be some challenges there as well, generally because of inflation and the cost of living has gone up so so much more that some people might have to do a return back mm-hmm. to work because uh, they don't have mm-hmm. another choice, you know, but those are issues and challenges and there are opportunities around it. There are ways to kind of figure that stuff out. There are creative methods that people like Bob are building into their hiring practices to bring on good people. And remain a competitive top choice environment for great talent, right? So that you're not just kind of taking the bottom of the barrel. You want top-notch people that are contributing to your yeah. to your business. So there are factors that play into this for sure.
0: So then, you know, Baba, maybe maybe I'll I'll jump onto one of Abdullah's points is the opportunity of retaining the talent in a virtual setting. How have you, what has Andy done? I don't know if you've been able to keep that culture going when you have team members. I mean, I have team members from all over North America. I have a team member in Spain right now, right? Spain, Northern BC. I actually do have someone in Northern BC. I have someone in Central America and in the States. I have, <laughs> have people all over, but you know, we have found nice. creative ways, but there's opportunities to learn from, from folks like yourselves. Like what has Andy done to, to keep this going?
2: It's been, you know, as a little touchdown, it's been one of the bigger challenges. It's keeping talent and keeping them engaged within the, you know, the culture. So a lot of it was thinking from my end, what made being at work great before? You know, my first ever job was working in consulting. And I remember, you know, whether it's you're traveling or your colleagues are traveling, everyone found a way to come together every Friday afternoon just to go to the bar down the street to meet up together, to socialize, to engage. But then you have people who have been, for the better part of three years, locked inside. So how do you create that kind of bond? So it's always asking that question is, how do we replicate the same things? Or better yet, how do we replicate the same emotion? I'll give you an example of one thing that I'm working on right now. About two weeks ago, I got a new box of Legos, uh, 790 pieces. And I said, hey, you know what? I'm going to pair two people on the team or three people on the team, rather, who I know they're new to each other. They don't really know themselves as much. And I'm going to say, you know what? Each team, you have a week with this set of Legos. You're going to build it. You're going to take pictures of whatever your creation is. You're going to meet together. You're going to talk about what you want to build with 790 pieces. And part of the thinking about that is no one is going to open a Lego piece and no want to share a part of their childhood. But I'm talking to 10 and saying, you know what? Like, we should build this thing because I was building this when I was like ten. I'm gonna tell you about oh, like this is how I grew up. This is like the things, and those are the kind of things that people normally would talk over with their colleagues over maybe a work lunch or a pint of beer after work. So it's thinking what are some of those little things you could do here and there. The Lego set cost about eighty bucks, but that could go a long way in you know bringing about six, seven people together to kind of share stories that they might not feel comfortable sharing because they haven't gotten to know each other through the pandemic, the way you know everyone will probably work together in person would have. So it's those kind of little things here and there. It's thinking, what emotion, what kind of bond are you trying to create? And then how do you go about creating it? The other thing is also, like Abdullah said, it's when you look at talent, you have to be realistic as to where the marketplace is and you have to be realistic as to what the intention of every person you talk to in an interview process is. I feel a lot of the times when you're interviewing, there might be a bias that comes in from maybe you went to U of T, you interviewed someone. They said, oh, I went to U of T during this year. And you go, oh, you know, it, those kind of little things here and there where the bias is in. So what I always like to do is in conducting multiple rounds of interviews, taking notes, you know, videos, going back, watching them, getting someone else to look at them is what is this person's true intention do their intentions fit into the culture because like i said earlier if i can make this person love the company the way i love it then i'm sure to just hands up the reins and say hey look you run marketing go do your job you run sales go do your job you run tech go do your job my job is to provide the resources for you to be able to make sure that andy's great because i know you want andy to be great So, when you start thinking around those minds of is this person it there is an if factor. And you know, a lot of the times people always say, oh, like, how do you quantify it? You know when that person has the mindset you're looking for, you know, when they have the culture and you know when they understand what kind of culture you're trying to build, they have the mindset. It's easy to be able to then have them on board to say, hey, look, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. This is something where when I look at you, I want you to be with this company for 10 years what do you need on a day-to-day basis to be there. And people would tell you those things because one, they know you understand them and they understand you and there's that connection. And then from there on, things just start to build. That's pretty much it is, you know, you find those interesting ways first and foremost to engage. And then the other thing is just talent identification. It is getting tougher because one point Abdullah said, which I've found to be very interesting as well is that, there are multiple competing priorities for people post-pandemic. You know, before the pandemic, a lot of people in the workforce were, I want to work and I want to travel. Now people are like, you know what? Maybe I want to spend more time with my family because I've gotten the chance to hang out with my wife for 14-hour you know, days. And so it's, you have to understand that that's where people are coming from in the pandemic as well. And what we're starting to see is that on both the employer as well as the employee side, People are starting to create a leeway. For example, one of the great things here the DMZ does, for example, is a Thursday lunch that engages a lot of people to come in. The the busiest two days at the DMZ are Tuesdays and Thursdays. And what you see is like when people are there on Thursday, they want to interact with co-workers. They want to talk to the businesses that are part of the DMZ. Everyone is there to socialize. And even things like that, it's understanding that, you know what, people are comfortable in their pajamas. But in the history of time, anyone who's ever been at a university knows if you ever tell people free pizza, they'll put on pants instead of pajamas and they're going to get down there. So (laughs) so it's things like that where you start to understand what are people's intentions? You know, how can you nudge them a little bit more? Because once you nudge them, they're going to interact. They're going to do the things you want them to do anyways. It's just what are the things that incentivizes them to be able to take that first step.
0: I mean, I love that. I'm going to, just so you know, steal your Lego idea. Uh, pretty. I'm pretty sure go I'm going to be it. doing that in the next quarter because we, we have to come up with some fun, fun activity yeah. for for teams up our team members at Ballistic yeah. Arts as well, and maybe we'll do the free pizza too. We we do give we do treat our team to free lunches and stuff like that every so often. So, okay, look, guys, I'm I'm mindful of time, and I wanted to kind of get to know the two of you guys on a rapid fire round, if we can, just to wrap this up. I'll ask a, a few questions, and uh, whoever wants to go first, you just jump in and answer the question. So uh, let's let's jump on that Lego piece. What was the what was your favorite thing that you built with Lego?
2: Ooh, so myself and my brother, we love building model houses. So when I my two things that if you ask me what I would just do for fun, it's you know build the house from scratch, or uh, you know learn how to fly an airplane. So those are the two things that we did a lot of uh, growing up in terms of like Lego pieces, toy cars. Just for fun fact, if you ever want to build a model house and you need a way to power it, go to the dollar store, buy an electric car, strip out the engine in the car, and uh, plug it to a tiny bulb, and now you have electricity in your house.
0: Abdullah, you, I don't know if you can top Very that, cool. my friend.
2: No, I'm not. I used to build blocks that to me that were just a block,
1: but to me it looked like art, <laughs> and I would break it apart after that so that nobody can steal my art <laughs> from me. You know, so it's one of those things. But I, I, I'm not uh, Lego wise. I was, I just used to put things together that looked like nothing. But to me, it looked like something phenomenal. That's it.
0: What I would do is, so, you know, again, immigrant parents, no money. So there were these, you know, remember like toys, they would, they would sell these huge, like if you're a Ninja Turtle fan, they would, they would make these like Ninja Turtle, you know, houses, like the sewer thing, or like I, I was in the He-Man, they had the castle. My parents couldn't afford that. They're like, here's a box of Lego, you yeah. build it for your toy. Right. And then, so then I have to build this thing. And it was actually allowed yeah. for creativity because things that, you know, maybe the manufacturer of the toy company didn't actually have. Now you can build it. Right. So that was kind of neat. And then it provided for creativity. Now
1: I was a marble guy, by the way. I don't (laughs) know if you played marbles or not, but
0: marbles. Marbles. I know. I know. I know. Yeah, for sure. We had marbles, but I I did have a cousin that almost choked on one. So we we stopped playing with that, but that's another story. Favorite work from home uniform. I guess you guys aren't working from home. So maybe I don't know if I should be asking that question, but when you did work from home, what was your favorite uniform? Ooh, like
2: a hoodie and uh, a sweater.
0: Yeah. Same
1: hoodie and sweater. I, I wore wore
0: hoodie yeah. and
1: sweater. Yeah, I wore shorts and t shirt and a slip and flip flops. Honestly, that was my uh, that was my uniform every day only.
0: <laughs> Dude, I am still literally in that, but I'm wearing Crocs right <laughs> now. That that's kind of what I'm doing. But honestly, yeah.
1: even for us though, because it's a pretty casual environment, even at the DMZ, people wear whatever they want here for the most part. Like it's like shorts, t shirts is very easy
2: going here. So uh, same thing. Definitely. Yesterday I was rocking uh, sweatpants, and uh, my sales guys were in uh, suits. So yeah, it was uh, one of those things. What fact
0: about you might surprise your coworkers who have never met you in real life?
2: The one that
1: I've, I've gotten for the people yeah. that have met me after the fact that only met me virtually, look at me and they're like, wow, you're a lot shorter than we <laughs> thought. That. <laughs> 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 hey, that's a true story. People say, well, we thought you were a tall, because I always talk about basketball <laughs> and like NBA. i like, I was keeping people in the loop. Like, oh, this guy must be like, a, you know, must be a taller guy. I consider myself to be average, but because I think I've, I've built this mindset of like, I'm a really tall dude, they're very disappointed when they realize I'm not six foot five and I'm <laughs> actually five, nine, you know? So it's a, I think I'm an average height, but not like clearly not, not the case for some people that have it. They're just
2: not for a basketball player. No, that's it. I think during the pandemic, obviously the height then has been one of those key ones that you're you know, speaking like, oh, like you yeah. look more different uh, from Zoom. And like the, the one I do get very regularly is probably for me. During work hours, I'm a very quiet person. Like if I have my headphones in, I don't like to chat as much. But the moment I'm in, you know, on Zoom, you know, talking to people, asking them questions about their lives, but I tell people once the headphones are in, pretty much focus time.
0: All right. Well, hey, back to focus time then. I think it is because we are out of time. So I want to thank you, Abdullah from DMZ, and Baba from Andy. Great conversation, gentlemen. This was another fantastic episode of Marketing thank News you. Canada. Before we end, actually where can we find more information about Abdullah and where can we find more information about, about Andy? So Abdullah, like, like DMZ, like what's, what's the link? And then how do we, how do we plug Andy?
1: Yeah. DMZ.to. All of our companies are on there as well, including Andy, but I'll let Andy kind of give, I'll let Baba give his, uh, his plug on Andy as well. Where to find more.
2: Absolutely. You can find us. So if you are listening to this in Toronto, uh, go on the app store, uh, download the Andy app. Uh, We're going to be in Vancouver, Montreal by the end of the year. We're going to be all over the United States next year. So you can pre-download it on the app store right now. Also, if you're a restaurant, a retailer or uh, a grocery store and you want to work with Andy, you can go to alwaysandy, alwaysandie.com and get as much information as possible. And, uh, you know, you can even find me on LinkedIn, Barbara Jayi, and reach out and uh, always happy to chat. Always happy to share my uh, two cents as well as if anyone is listening to this. And they were able to connect for a coffee and uh, talk startups and entrepreneurship. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much.
0: Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors Travis Jeffers and the Podfather.
3: At Parker, our purpose is simple.